So, gentlemen, this is what everyone's been waiting for is uh, obviously to find out how many of my pre-orders arrived. Yeah, obviously this is w- w- why we came here today to 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 know how many switches you actually have. This is the only reason anybody's tuning in this week. Um so basically all three of them are here now. Um well, one of them I've I've sold on to my younger brother um and I'm going to actually just be returning the last one to Amazon. I, I decided not to go down the eBay route. But the the thing that is interesting to me, um, and it proved that I was right to take this strategy, so two of my pre-orders arrived on launch day. The one that didn't was the one that I pre-ordered first. So if I would have stuck by just ordering one of them, it wouldn't have arrived. So I feel vindicated in my bonkers decision to go ahead and do this. People thought that I was mad. But it turned out that I did the thing that was right for me. You're making this way more dramatic than that it should be. It's true, though. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. this was high drama. Um, no, it wasn't a high drama. <laughs> it was high drama was for not- me. <laughs> I mean, you can just walk into some video game store and pick up these things whenever you want, right? But for other no, people, that's, that's not really how it went. <laughs> other people, they have to wait for delivery drivers to arrive, right? And, and with the cloud of of obscurity that is Amazon's delivery. But anyway, so yeah, I got it, and um, I made my YouTube video, but I couldn't do my little Easter egg because I didn't have all three boxes in the house at the same time, unfortunately. Mm. Sorry to let everybody down. But I will put in the show notes my YouTube video review if people want to go and see that. But what everybody really wants is just to hear what we all think of this, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's, uh, you know... We've been waiting for this console for such a long time. When I when I got it last week, it almost felt unreal uh, that uh, that I was finally holding, you know, the, the Nintendo Switch. Uh, it's possibly the single topic that has been a constant, you know, in this show way back when it was known as, you know, directional, and we were talking about what was coming after the Wii U, and then on virtual and eventually on remaster. The next Nintendo console has been the constant of our conversations. Um, before we get to the actual first impressions and thoughts, I have just some basic facts that I would like to uh, get out of the way. Um, so the first week sales, actually the first weekend sales, uh, Nintendo seems to be quite happy with the results. The Nintendo Switch has outsold the Wii, uh, the Nintendo Wii, not the Wii U, the Nintendo Wii, at launch in the Americas in the first two-day sales. So uh, Friday and Saturday higher sales for the Nintendo Switch in, um, than the Nintendo Wii and any other console. So it, it is a new record for the company. And that includes also the game, Breath of the Wild, which is, uh, you know, the game that everybody's buying, basically. Uh, it outsold Super Mario 64, and it is, it is now the most successful uh, standalone launch game that Nintendo ever made for uh, you know for a new console. That of course excludes Wii Sports because it was bundled into the Nintendo Wii, so it doesn't really count. Um, I saw some stats about you know uh, like over fifty percent, almost sixty percent of Nintendo Switch buyers own a copy of Breath of the Wild. So that's awesome. Uh, the same story in Europe. The Nintendo Switch went really well. Um, 80,000 units in the UK alone in the opening weekend. Uh, I saw similar numbers in France. Um, and really what's most impressive, I think it's not necessarily the pent-up demand for a new Nintendo console. You know, there are quite a few Nintendo fans, you know, across the globe. And it makes sense that we're all waiting for a new Nintendo console to buy. But also 
it is impressive to me that this is March, and it, it is not traditionally a busy moment of the video game industry. You know, uh, it is not the Thanksgiving week. Uh, you know, it's not holiday sales. We're talking spring, and just before E3, when it doesn't tend to be a major, uh, a hot video game moment of the year. So that kind of makes it makes it quite impressive as a as a result to me. Personally speaking, uh, you know, from personal experience, I saw a very aggressive marketing push from Nintendo on Italian television. I don't know if it's the same in other countries, yep. but I see at least four to five commercials every night when my television is on. So, you know, good job so far, I guess. Yeah, there are a lot of commercials here. There are a lot of advertisement on the tube. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's everywhere. They've got Switch stuff everywhere. Now, I want to um, I wanna maybe put this into a little bit of perspective because i think i think that maybe this can get a little bit lost when comparing to the wii um because the wii became a big deal right true like it wasn't it wasn't straight out of the gate like everybody and their mother wanted the console like it Mm -hmm. it's kind of snowballed now yeah i have hope great hope that that happens for the switch right like i think Federico, and if you feel the same, I think you would as well too, Jahid, right? Because you like just some of the basics of it, like with the multiplayer and stuff, like you, you want this console to con- to succeed as much as us, right? Totally. So like, I, 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 so I'm hoping that it goes this way, right? That like it's got a good starting point and carries on because obviously the Wii U didn't sell that way. Um, but I think it is just worth noting that like comparing it to the Wii this early on can can misguide people a little bit i think because the wii really kind of picked up now the thing i think that is most impressive in all of this um is the fact that breath of the wild outsold mario 64 yeah that is really interesting to me yeah especially when you compare the different uh, you know the historic time periods Uh, mario 64 was the first 3d mario the Nintendo 64 came after the Super Nintendo to much, you know, uh, was a bit of a drama, you know, the making of this uh, 3D console in the age of PlayStation. Could Nintendo follow up to, to the to the SNES and, you know, go to war against Sony with the PlayStation? Um, and the, the Nintendo Switch is the console that comes after the Wii U for this major disappointment for Nintendo and for their fans. And the fact that this game has outsold Mario 64, as you say, is really quite impressive because even if you consider the the, the differences between the two launches and, um, you know, the sort of the reputation that Nintendo has as compared to 20 years ago, uh, it makes for a very solid, very solid uh, launch for the, the new Zelda game, which I think it's totally deserved, uh, as we'll talk about in a yep. bit. Uh, but still, yes, uh, impressive numbers. I, I wish Nintendo released official actual sales for... Like, how many copies did they sell in stores? But I guess it's difficult now, you know, between digital downloads and, you know, copies shipped to retailers. So we can just speculate. Uh, but Nintendo is very eager to go on, uh, you know, on the record with these statements. They went to the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, they to kind of make sure that the message goes to the fans. The sales are going well, and now we need to release more games throughout the year. On the other hand, there's also the other side of this launch, which is the the issues with the Switch hardware. And 
we've seen a bunch of problems. For example, uh, the, the Switch docks, they're actually scratching the screen. When you put the console in, I saw people sticking foam inside of the, in, inside of the dock. I see people uh, creating sort of these cozies, which, is, which are like <laughs> cases for the dock, that, like, like little pajamas that you put on the dock <laughs> to make sure that it doesn't scratch the console. But the biggest issue really is the uh, problem with the Wi-Fi Bluetooth, or Bluetooth, I should say, signal dropping from the left Joy-Con. Yep. And we speculated on this problem uh, on the last show. We were wondering, is Nintendo going to fix this issue? And the day one patch is not clear if the day one update actually fixed these problems. But what I see, at least you know, uh, on my Twitter timeline, some people have the, this problem, other people don't. I'm on the second camp. I, I, I never had a single issue with my Joy-Con. And I tried a bunch of different positions, like uh, I, I was twisting my arms and hiding the Joy-Con behind my back, just no problems. Yeah, I've had no problems either, none. Other people have, so Nintendo issued a statement, which is kind of kind of amusing. They recommend not using the Joy-Cons near any source of Wi-Fi in, uh, or of Wi-Fi interference. Uh, so, of course, routers or you know microwaves, uh, even fish tanks. So, if you plan on <laughs> playing with the Nintendo Switch near to your favorite fish, uh, you might want to reconsider the location of the console. Uh, Do you get Wi-Fi fish tanks now? Look, I mean, look, even it's not just us who need the internet. Fish need the internet too, you know? Look, I mean, if you're you're an evil uh, person with the sort of uh, stereotypical evil office, you know, with the leather chair, Mm. uh, the overview of the city, I mean, you have a fish tank. And it makes sense that you have this big screen next to a fish tank. You know, if I were an evil person, I would have that kind of office. Uh, but I would have problems with the, with the Switch and the Joy-Cons also. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that I'm, a, that I'm not an evil It's guy. just reinforcing Nintendo's wholesome image, right? They're making it really difficult right. for evil right. supervillains to play <laughs> their games. Exactly. Um, and finally, there's this uh, guy on YouTube... He actually opened up the uh, the the Joy Cons, and in his teardown video of the Joy Cons, uh, when he gets to the left one, so he opens the right Joy Con first, and he notices there's there's a Bluetooth antenna, there's the logic board, a bunch of stuff. Then he opens the left one, and initially he cannot find the Bluetooth antenna for the left Joy Con. So basically, the problem here is uh, the Bluetooth antenna has been. Uh, it's part of the main logic board. There's no separate antenna. It's all part of a single board. And the location of this antenna is right next where your where your hand would actually grab the Joy-Con. So the problems that people are having are likely due to, to this design issue, let's say, of the left Joy-Con. And actually, this guy tries to improve upon the problem by <laughs> soldiering a piece of wire to the antenna. And it seems to improve the signal, uh, but definitely do not try this at home. Yeah, I kind of have a problem with this whole thing, because the guy wasn't even having any issues with his unit. It was just trying to make it stronger, I think. Yeah, but uh, like, okay, that might make it stronger, but it might not fix the problem. You know, like there could be something else. You know what I mean? It just, uh, this this thing was just strange to me. Yeah. Um, and it, so unless you have you, know, you have serious problems... With your Joy-Con, uh, I don't think you should do anything. Uh, I feel like do, you should probably not... contact Nintendo or the store you bought it from first. 
or the store. Do not try to open them up and soldier in wires to the to the end to the logic board. Seriously, yeah, that's a whole. Do not do next this. Level. All right, so we've covered the news um, and follow up. So we should probably yeah. talk about the console itself. But before we do, maybe we should take a moment to thank our first sponsor of this week's episode. I'll take a moment to thank Squarespace for their support of Remaster. Use the code insertcoin at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. They let you easily create the website you have for that next idea that you want to express. And with the ability to grab a unique domain, to take advantage of award-winning templates to show off your ideas and more, Squarespace are the perfect place. Maybe you want to create a blog or an online store, a portfolio, a site for your band, a site for your restaurant. No matter what it is, Squarespace is the only one platform that lets you do any and all of those things. You don't have to worry about installing Installing things, about having to keep patches up to date or upgrades to your system for security. Squarespace have all of that covered. They back it all up with 24-7 customer support if you need any help. And as I mentioned before, you can take advantage of beautiful templates that all look fantastic and they look great on all sizes of device. And you can give your website the brand that it needs, the brand that it deserves with a unique domain name as well. Squarespace is the full package. Their plans start at just $12 a month and you can sign up right now with no credit card required and start a free trial just by going to squarespace.com. Then when you decide to sign up for a plan, use the code in. Coin, I-N-S-E-R-T-C-O-I-N, that's all one word, to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Remaster. Thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of this show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. I just want to get this out of the way and kind of out of my system. Um, a lot of what I'm going to say about the Switch will be in the context of this is the console that I've been waiting my entire life for. And it's based on the idea uh, and really the dream that I've been having since I was a kid and I got my first Super Nintendo. That is, I want to have the same games everywhere on one console that I take with me all the time and that I can choose whether I want to play as a portable console or on the TV. And, of course, it's it's been, you know, over... 25 years since uh, you know I've, I've been playing Nintendo games and we've been through uh, you know a lot of changes in the video game industry uh, you know other companies have tried to do this sort of dual screen single console before um, you know when you think about the PS Vita when you think about the Wii U or the Nintendo DS a lot of these ideas have been sort of fragmented over the years in the industry. So the Switch feels like the unification of 25 years, 30 years of work from Nintendo. And it's the distillation of decades of work in portable consoles, in home consoles, and now it's just one console. So with that being said... So I'll just jump in right at this moment and say like that is exactly how I feel too, right? That yeah. this console is exactly what I feel like I've been looking for for my entire video game life. So because we both feel this way, Federico, and we're the same age, um, Shahid, I wonder if... It, is this something that that you are especially excited in, that it is this one console everywhere? I mean, because for me and Federico, for, for basically as long as we can remember, there have been 
home consoles and handhelds, right? The the SNES or the NES and the Game Boy, right? They've been around for basically all of our lives. So we've always had this idea of gaming. Um, is, is this something that is exciting or as appealing for you as it is for us? Not as much. The thing that I really like about the Switch, but that Nintendo have been very careful not to emphasize is that this is the ultimate handheld gaming device and it's the ultimate tabletop gaming device it's the ultimate go anywhere you want device Mm -hmm. but it's not the ultimate home console device and i don't think it pretends to be no and it doesn't matter i mean they're emphasizing that it's a home device you can take anywhere but i think what what they really mean is that it's by far the most powerful handheld device for gaming ever made and i'm not sure even that would be true because if they tried to say that then well it'd be very hard to compare against other devices you can carry around but i found myself playing it in uh portable mode and in um tabletop mode much more than on the big screen which surprised me because it looks great on the big screen you know but there are things that i absolutely love about it in portable mode that make it very hard uh, for me to kind of get away from that and very often the t- uh, the tv will be used for netflix and i'll just pick you know the the switch up and i'll play some uh, shovel knight or whatever i played more shovel knight on this thing than i ever did on any other machine <laughs> and that doesn't surprise me at all but for me the the great thing about this has been that it just feels like the ultimate portable and tabletop gaming device and i've done i've done that quite a lot and maybe spent i don't know um in total an hour on the tv and um when quizzing family members about this as well they tend to prefer it in handheld mode too it just feels like the ultimate take it anywhere you like gaming device and i love it for that and i'm not disappointed that i don't use it so much in uh big tv mode i have done it Mm-hmm. It is good. Um, but the the thing is, I very rarely find myself in front of the TV anyway, you know? Yeah. It's not one of those things I do. Most often, I'm in front of a laptop or an iPad, you know? And that mode of uh, being with a digital device now has just become the norm for me. And actually sitting down in front of a big telly to watch something, it's an event. It happens very rarely. So I have, I've been unable to turn that into a gaming habit as well. But the interesting thing is because of that, I've been playing it much more than the PS4. I was playing a fair bit of PS4 about two weeks or so ago. Played just about everything you could imagine, which is unusual for me. Um, but, but lately, whenever I've had some downtime in the evening, I come, uh, come in from the shed, I'll pick the switch up and I'll start playing. It's beautiful. Yeah, so like that, the last couple of days, I have spent... Um, with 30 minute, like four 30 minute calls, like in four hours. All right. So, like 30 minutes on, 30 minutes off. So, I've had a bunch of calls like that. And in between the calls, I've been picking up my Switch and playing it at my desk. Now, mm. I wouldn't do that with the PS4 because I'd be turning right. it on and off every time and you're, you're waiting for all of that and you, I've got yeah. to move away. Like, you know, I know it's only on the sofa, but like I'm not at the desk anymore. So, I would have just like futzed around online, right? Like poked around on Reddit or something instead. But instead, I'm just picking up my Switch from right next to me 
and playing for like 20 minutes and then putting it back down again. And that has been a fantastic experience for me. Yeah, and and I totally noticed the same pattern. Uh, I feel like playing games in front of a TV is a bigger commitment, uh, not just in terms of, you know, the kind of games that you play, because that that point doesn't make much sense anymore now with the Switch, but in terms of preparation. And I also feel like when you play a game, at least when I play a game in front of the TV with my PlayStation, it makes me less approachable for people in the house. Because when I'm in front of a TV... Uh, I I appear to be more distant, more isolated. With the Switch, I can just play in the kitchen, play on the sofa with my girlfriend next to me, play in bed or at my desk. Just brings uh, multiple styles of play anywhere. Uh, you know, whether it's in, it's in tabletop mode or you know on on another TV, whatever. And by far, I've played with Zelda. I mean, I, I'm probably 30 to 35 hours into the game and I've only played like a couple of hours on the TV. Uh, the game is great on the TV, but it just seem, it makes more sense for me to play in portable mode all the time. It's a psychological thing, I think. Yeah, definitely. Like one of the big things as well is like when you're playing on the TV in the house, you're inconveniencing everyone else in the home. Right. Yes. Right, because it's like you're in most likely. And this isn't the same for everyone, right? Like you could have a TV in your office, like I do, like in in mega office over here. But like I, I actually have my Switch dock on the TV in the in the living room because it's because I'm less likely to play it on the TV. So when I play it on the TV, I want to use the best TV. Um, but like when when you when you do play a, like a game on the TV, you are using the television in the main focal point of the home like in the living room in the front room where there is most likely to be other people especially if you have a family so like you are dominating that area and everyone else kind of has to accept that or like be a part of that or you feel like you know that everyone's kind of like waiting like there's like an expectation um and that this is a lot better for that Right, then that you can just be a part of whatever else is going on in the home. You can be in the room everybody else is in. You know, like uh, Adina can be watching TV, or we can both like because she could be on her laptop doing some work or something, and I'm able to play the Switch, and I'm not, I'm not in her way. Like I'm not doing something that's catching her eye out of the corner. Yeah. Right, like I I can have headphones on more easily, so it's yeah, it is great for stuff like that. It's more in line with the uh, modern behaviors of using mobile devices yeah. while people are around you. Yes. And really, what we're having is a discussion about Nintendo portable consoles. Uh, this has been the case for the past 20 years, right? We could have said the same about the Game Boy or the DS or the 3DS, but now what's new is the idea of grabbing this screen from the TV and taking it anywhere which is really yeah. you could have said the same well you can you, you've always been able to play with your girlfriend next to you with the ds but this is different because you can choose where to play and also these are main system games right main system games in yeah man. yeah yeah that's it i mean that's the big psychological difference for me is that this whole thing is about nintendo's careful play on the psychology of emphasizing the home console format first because in the past when you thought about Vita games or you thought about DS games or whatever, you thought this is a portable game, you know? Right. Whereas yeah. when you play a Switch game, you're playing something that is almost unapologetically 
a main game, as you yep. put it, Mike. You know, th- this is the real deal. You're not playing some cut down thing. You're not playing some portable thing. You're not playing some mobile thing. What you're playing is a full on video game. And Zelda, I think, perfectly fits into that model. You know, here is a game that that would work on anything and is unashamedly and profoundly brilliant on every single level and yet here you are carrying it around with you that's a dream that's what they've delivered on yep so when i when i picked up the console uh for the first time last week um i took it out of the box and i plugged everything up to my tv in the bedroom uh placed the switch in the in the in the dock and i did a first test of you know taking it out of the dock and looking at the game on the screen and I, I, just, I didn't gasp uh, physically, but I did internally in the sense of, in my mind, I went like, this makes total sense um, that I can just grab it up and there's the game on my, on my t- on my, in my hands. And then when I put it down, it's on the TV. So I was really surprised by the, how, how it felt, like the experience. And then I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm used to it now, but, but again, in a, in a way that, you know, it's that kind of innovation that it makes sense once you try it, but it didn't exist before. So it's not really fair to say, well, it, make, it makes sense because, it, you know, Nintendo actually invented this. And, you know, there are, there are some problems and many issues with the, you know, with many unanswered questions about this Switch experience. Um, but I also think Nintendo did a lot of good this time. And so I thought we should... Before we move on to you know, the, the main section of this show, which I feel like is going to be Zelda. I mean, it has to be because it's the single game that we played, yeah. <laughs> basically. Um, let's talk about the hardware. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about this. Uh, I think Mike mostly agrees with me here, which is the console is very understated. It, it looks kind of minimal. It, it's not as... Uh, it doesn't scream, I'm a video game console, as no. much as the PS4 and the Xbox do. It's basically like, oh, hey, this is another one of those black slabs green things that you're used to, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's tiny. You can put it next to the TV. It's kind of cute. Yep. Uh, if you get the version with the red, neon red and blue Joy-Cons, which I did and Mike also did. I'm it's not the sure. Only Shai, version. Shai, yeah. did you get the, the colored version? No, I haven't quite shaken the corporate out of me. So <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a grown-up. Of course, you, you have the, the gray one. So I got the gray one but bought the colored Joy-Cons. Um, which is like because I've got a bunch of people commenting on my YouTube video that my Joy-Con colors are the are the wrong way, so I'm I'm red on the left, blue on the right, because that's how the extra pack comes. Because if oh, you buy the colored console, it's blue on the left, red on the right. Oh, that's someone thought about that. It's so then if you buy the extra pack, then you get opposite colors. It's, it's genius. Hmm. But yeah, so I have a, I have, because I was always going to buy a second set anyway, right? For like for multiplayer, for extra multiplayer stuff. So I have the gray set, and then I have the colors, the extra colors. Nice. So uh, I, I think the screen looks great. Uh, it's clearly an IPS display uh, that we used to see on iPhones and iPads. Looks very bright. It's colorful. Um, it doesn't feel like a tablet to me. Like the the console itself. When you pick it up, a lot of people say, well, it's Nintendo's answer to the to tablet games. It's, it really isn't. Uh, it, it feels like a video game console, 
but with a bigger screen. It doesn't feel like an iPad to no, me because it it's plasticky and it's thicker. And it has a fan on it. <laughs> it's got a fan. You can actually hear the fan. Yeah. Um I mean, it, it, you could make the joke that it looks like one of the first Microsoft Surface tablets with a fan, but it's that's not really fair. It, it is a video game console. It's uh, y- you cannot mistake it for for an iPad for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the kickstand. I want to talk about the Ugh. kickstand. I ju- I, I don't want to say that I hate it, but it's not a good kickstand and it's not a good experience. Um, I have trouble actually ejecting the kickstand. I have to try multiple times to take it out, and when I do, it doesn't it doesn't help the switch stand upright on basically anything that isn't a flat desk. So if you try to use it as a kickstand on your lap, it will fall over uh, on a on a sofa or on a pillow, anything you know, on a on any kind of seat with a with a soft surface, uh, it won't stand upright. And then when it does, it's not at the right angle. It's not at the right angle unless you're a very tall person, maybe, or a short person. I think I'm not you'd sure have to how angle short. Work. I think it would I think be you have to be very short, short maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's very flimsy. Like every time I take it out, if I manage, it feels like it's about to break, and I'm about to end up with a piece of plastic in my hands. It, it it's so it's so light, and I don't know. It do, it doesn't feel like a. It's not a good kickstand. Uh, yeah, like, I don't think it is. You know, we talk about this all the time. Every Nintendo product has like flaws that it shouldn't have. Um, and this is it big for me. The kickstand is the biggest flaw of the console because when we saw it, we freaked out about it because it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to have a kickstand in this device because this is one way that it should be played. You put it down on a table and you play with the Joy-Cons in your hands. So I can't understand how they had that idea but executed it so poorly. It should be in the middle of the device. I know I feel like they put it there because they wanted to cover like it well, they wanted it to also double up as the cover for the SD card. Mm-hmm. But they should have just made a separate SD card cover. They should have put the kickstand in the middle. It should be wider. Uh, like they, I think they really screwed up with this. Or they should have made the kickstand a more integral part of the device. Like have it come from both sides and it be like the whole bottom part. Like it should have been better. Um, there are, looks like there was a bunch of cases and stands on the horizon. Yeah. I've got some pre-orders in for a couple, which I think will will give me what I'm looking for with this. But you know, like you can't charge it when it's got the kickstand. You know, mm-hmm. the, the kickstand should have been on the other side of the device. You should be able to flip around the screen. Like there, there are just ways that this could have been solved that they didn't do, and it's it's frustrating to me because yeah, it's. This should be a good part of this device, and, and yeah, it's I mean, not. really, the the SD card should be in a separate position. Mm-hmm. The cable for charging should be at the top. Yep. Any portable video game console that charges at the bottom is basically flawed because you're gonna hold this console next to your chest, and so get, having the cable get in the way is very inconvenient. Uh, and also, uh, you know, the kickstand. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the the next version of the Switch. Uh, it's gonna have a much better kickstand and different position for the cables, uh, and of course a better battery life. Uh, the official Nintendo carrying case doubles as a stand, so you, you could, there's this uh, like it's kind of similar to the Apple Smart Cover as a concept. There's a 
a part inside that is both a carrying pouch for the game cards, but also it folds in three pieces and it becomes a stand. Um, and the carrying case from Nintendo is not it's not a bad case. It's not a great case. It just kind of gets the job done. Uh, it, it It is a decent... If you really need a case, as I did when I first uh, bought the Switch, this is the default option and it's not too bad. I think we'll get much, much better options soon. Uh, so anyway... Bit disappointment over over the kickstand. I I thought it was gonna be nicer. It's not. Also, maybe it's just me. Uh, but I wear eyeglasses, and so my my eyesight is you know it's not too great. And when I when I try the the switch with the kickstand, so I place it on the usually on on my desk or the kitchen table, and I sit uh, I don't know about maybe 60, 70 centimeters away from the console. And the screen is not too big, you know, it's not an iPad Pro. Uh, It's a six point something inches display. Uh, And I have trouble reading text or, you know, actually seeing game stuff on the screen. So unless I actually sort of really bend uh, forwards to see the screen, to look at the screen directly, playing in tabletop mode for me, it's not a great idea uh, Mm. because I'm going to miss a lot of details. I think there are some games that will work better than others for that. I don't think Zelda's one of them because there's text on the screen a lot right. of the time uh, and it can get quite small. Um I have played uh, a little bit like that with tabletop and and I and I think it's I think it's fine. But usually if if it's if I'm not got it onto the TV then I I have the Joy-Cons attached and I just hold the whole thing because it's perfectly fine to hold that way. You could tell that the game Zelda it was made for a big screen, right? Because yeah. they uh, and it was very close to finished or or practically done when they realized they had to port it. So they just haven't done anything about all of the UI. And, you know, someone like me who also wears reading glasses, I couldn't read it even with reading glasses, that text. It was just yeah. too small. So half of the time I was guessing, you know, those prompts you get at the beginning? <laughs> I guess it says. <laughs> uh, I, I, I guess uh, plus no, X, no, A. Okay, it's it's A, you know. Uh, it's just jabbing away until I eventually found it. Now, serious talk, this is something that, I, that one of my major gripes about any console, even PlayStation 4, uh, the, the accessibility settings for modern consoles suck. Uh, there's no... You know, one of the greatest features of iOS is dynamic text that lets you bump up or reduce the size of text at a system-wide level. And, you know, developers who make apps or games, they integrate with that system feature. So if I'm a person who wants slightly bigger text, every app, every single game, every system feature by Apple gets the same font size. And video game consoles badly need a system like this. Um, there's a zoom feature on PS4 that lets you zoom into a part of the screen, but it's really inconvenient to use with the DualShock. And there's no setting that says, I want to have a default font size, slightly bigger, because I play three meters away from my TV and my eyesight isn't what it used to be when I was 15 years old. So please make the text bigger. And I, I really think that, you know all of these companies should come together and and make an accessibility setting for making fonts bigger. Uh, especially now, you know, with the with, with the switch, you you can place the console on a bunch of different uh, places, and you can take it with you all the time. Uh, and there's a big heavy game like Zelda. I mean, it makes total sense to to make it more accessible to all kinds of people, especially when you're so text heavy. Anyway. 
yeah, the system can already detect uh, which mode you're playing in. There's no issue there. So yeah. it, it will have a rough idea about all of their use cases, about how far away people use the devices when they're in any of those modes. And they're three kind of very different uh, distances. Try try playing it in tabletop mode. You cannot read a thing, you know. But playing it close up, even close up, I, I can't read it. On the TV, it was fine, you know. But yeah, it, I really do think that's... Um, because they were originally aiming it for Wii U and yeah. they had to port it at the last minute. I'm sure that in future, not just their games, but they'll be encouraging third parties to make sure that everything works at all three settings. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. I mean, in terms of accessibility, that doesn't solve that problem. I'm just saying that in this yeah. specific case where it showed up very clearly, um, I, I think there were reasons for it and I'm sure they'll patch it. Yeah, I hope so too, actually. Um, Mike, um what do you think of the of the controllers? I was hoping you'd ask me this question, Federico. And which controllers do you have? Oh, uh, well, okay. So in regards to controllers, I mean, I have the Pro Controller, but I've not even taken it out of the box. Okay. I'll get to why. Uh, I have the Joy-Con charging grip, and I haven't taken that out of the box. Okay. Because the Joy-Cons, on their own, are, in my opinion, the single greatest video game controllers ever made. Because the comfort that I have playing this console is unlike anything else. Because my hands can be wherever they want to be. So, I mean, I, have, I think I have played more TV mode than you. Both of you. Because mm -hmm. my lovely sofa in the front room is right in front of the TV. And sometimes yeah. I come, you know, I'm, I'm on my own in the daytime. I'm playing some Zelda. And I'm like... I'm I'm sitting with the console in my hands, looking at the screen. I'm like, I have a 40 inch TV, like right there. <laughs> so like, I go plug it in and I play. And when I'm playing, I am basically most of the time sitting with my arms by my sides, playing with each individual Joy-Con. Mm -hmm. I've done yeah. that too. And I can yeah. like, I can put one arm on my lap. I've put like one arm up on the side, like. I have I now feel constrained by the idea of having both of my hands in a fixed distance from each other. I think that that it now to me that feels like an archaic way to play video games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's like it's like um you, you know those oh, this is a really silly example but um in, in some of the I guess more modern gangster films where um, the aggressors hold the gun at a sideways angle. It's kind of different and cool. I've been experimenting with holding the controllers <laughs> in different ways just because I can. So tilling it's it great. to the side, putting it behind your head. Yeah! I, I really, I like the way that they feel on their own. I like them more when I have the, the straps on them, you know, the strap that you click in mm -hmm. uh, because it just adds a bit more heft to the controller. But just... I mean, I've put it in the, the grip, and I find the, the, the grip is too small for my hands. Um, I, I, it puts everything too close together. But for me, like, they are built perfectly to be on their own. All of the buttons feel incredible. Um, I think... I mean, I haven't really played a game that takes advantage of, like, the... Is it ZS and ZL? Like, the little ones on the side? Um, they're, for me, basically unusable buttons, unless you have the strap on with the with the bigger buttons on the side. Um, just those tiny little buttons on their own on the side of the controllers that they're terribly hard to hit I'm also um, that it's also a little small to play in 
like both hands, like snipper clips, you, you, you have one of the Joy-Cons each yeah. and it can get a bit small. And I'm wondering how Mario Kart's going to feel. I think it'll be doable, but not, not ideal. I think I would still want to have a full controller, which is why I bought an extra set of Joy-Con. Um, but I've got to say, like, I, I honestly think that this is just the most comfortable I have been with a video game controller of all time. Like, because I can sit however I want and it, will be fine because really I don't need more in my hands than the Joy-Con. Like it's all of the buttons. They're all there. I can get to them all easily. Like it works perfectly fine, but I have the freedom of being able to sit however I want. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And the feeling of not having to keep your arms in a fixed position for several hours as you would with a normal beta game controller, that that's it feels refreshing to me really. Yep. And it sort of goes back to the days of the Wiimote and the Nunchuck, but it's better because there's no wire between yeah. the two of them. Like, you can see the evolution from the Wiimotes to this, right? Yes. You can see that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, so my, my girlfriend, whose opinion I really respect when it comes to normal people trying tech things, um, said that the she didn't really like the Joy-Cons. Uh, because they were too tiny, it kind of it's hard to get to the buttons, and we were playing snipper clips, so I totally understand. Uh, you know, the, uh, it, it is a tiny joypad, but also uh, we had some problems when playing One Two Switch. Uh, basically, her Joy-Con couldn't recognize movement as, uh, as like my Joy-Con did. Hmm. Uh, so that was interesting, and it's probably I, I think most of the problems are the fact that. My living room is quite quite small, so there were probably some some issues with the you know with the IR receiver on one of the Joy Cons. I don't know. Uh, I I really should get a bigger house. Yeah, that's how you solve your Switch problems. Of course, I mean I'm getting a bigger house. Why are you getting a bigger house? Because I I need to play with the Switch and I want to get a Nero Wi-Fi system. So that's <laughs> you know two good reasons to upgrade my living situation. Um, I got the Pro Controller, and I like it. I think Nintendo's done a good job with it. Uh, of course, the, there's a real D-pad. With, you know, the, the long-time Nintendo fan in me really appreciates the fact that the Pro Controller has an actual D-pad, not the split buttons as the Joy-Cons. But I don't fully like the feel. This is super... Uh, I'm feeling like John Syracuse right now. This is super, a super specific complaint. Uh, I don't like the, the run as they call it, of the buttons of the Pro Controller. They're not as clicky as I would like them to be. There's a bit of extra space when pressing the button that I don't appreciate. They, and it feels odd um, as a button feeling uh, compared to other Nintendo consoles. Uh, usually Nintendo tends to hit this uh, sweet spot in terms of button press feel that is between a Dual Shock and what we have with the Pro Controller. So, you know, uh, it feels good. It feels like the Xbox One controller. I, I like the form factor. I, I think I actually prefer the shape to the DualShock, but the buttons I would have liked to be different. Uh, the D-pad is good, though, so, you know, thumbs up. Um, and um, I think I'm going to get other Joy-Cons, um, like you, Mike, uh, especially looking forward to Mario Kart. Uh, I think it makes more sense to buy more Joy-Cons than to buy more Pro Controllers. Because with uh, how it doesn't cost the same, or maybe cost the same, but anyway, you get two. Yeah. So you don't get one. So exactly. you can invite more people to play. 
So even if it costs the same, I don't remember, but even if it costs the same, you get two controllers. So, yeah. So I got a question for both of you. I haven't put on the uh, on the Joy-Cons the uh, hand strap, uh, the attachment mm-hmm. for the side buttons. Yeah. And the reason for that is, uh, although I'd prefer it that way, I'm forever sliding uh, those things back into the machine. Okay. Now, if you had a spare pair of Joy-Cons, would the external still work fine? Because then you could just leave a pair strapped in, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I because tried the system is really like it really likes to favor what is attached to it, right? Yes. Like right. when when you right. physically attach something, it's like, yep, got it. Like, and when sometimes, like, uh, I I pick like maybe the system's gone to sleep, and I pick up my Joy Cons are not attached to the system. And I'm trying to turn on the TV, and it takes a couple of button presses for everything to kind mm. of be like, oh, hey, no, I'm here, and it finds itself again. So I I would expect that it would maybe want to try and set you up as player two right but player one is still the stuff that's attached i don't know maybe it maybe it changes it when it's attached to the tv i haven't tried that out but i think i will i think maybe if you if you have another set of joy cons and if you leave the the default ones attached you can still choose to use the other joy cons because it's basically what you do with the pro controller but instead you do with the other joy cons i think there's going to be there's a menu that lets you pick a controller uh, in the settings, and actually when you press a button, you get this dialogue that says, "Well, you gotta choose a controller now because we detect two of them." Uh, so I think if you leave the the Joy Cons always attached and use another set with the straps, you should be able to choose every time that you want to actually use the external ones. That's my idea. I think. Uh, anyway, before Zelda. We're almost there. Uh, some quick thoughts about the software. Uh, and there isn't much to say, really. Uh, it's a very um, different kind of system software uh, than what we're used to see from Nintendo on the Wii, Wii U, and 3DS. It's, it's, a, it, it's a clean aesthetic, uh, very polished sound effects. No music, which some people have complained about as they were missing the, you know, the cartoonish music the Nintendo used to do. Uh, it's a very minimal UI. It's it's a far cry from the one Nintendo used to do with the you know uh, on the uh, on previous consoles. And even if you compare this system UI to the UI of Mario Run and other Nintendo mobile apps, it's it looks like an interface from a different company. Uh, so Nintendo has, I I believe, has taken some kind of Android skin and made it you know, n- Nintendo-like. It's very polished. It's very, it feels like a Nintendo for grown-ups. Um, I like it. Uh, the animations, the sound effects, uh, looks fine to me. I like that it's really clean. Um, the sounds are really good. I do wish there was music on the eShop. That's kind of all I want from music. You're one of those people. I don't want music on the menus, but I miss the eShop music because <laughs> it kind of you know made it feel like you're in a store. You know, oh, it was yeah, like playing totally, like okay. little music <laughs> over the speakers. Like I do miss it. Yeah, the feeling of shopping with music in the bag. I'm just browsing, thank you. And yeah, just no, I'm music. okay. <laughs> just walking around. Uh, I, I will say the fact that I have no complaints about the system software says how good it is compared to the yeah, right. Nintendo. That, so surprising. I mean, uh, you know, weeks ago, I would have thought, okay, we're just going to complain about the system software so much. 
Uh, and instead, it's actually it's quite okay from a design perspective. There are some other benefits that we haven't mentioned. For instance, it's easier than ever to switch between multiple eShops, uh, you know, eShop accounts. Mm-hmm. And different international e-shops also. And just user accounts. It's, it's all integrated so well. It's all integrated. It asks you, you know, who's playing this game now? Is it Tichi or is it Sylvia? And you can actually navigate the UI and say, it's me. Uh, and it's very nice. And, it, you know, the the idea of switching between eShop accounts goes back to the fact that we haven't talked about this because I don't think we've been able to try it yet. But the Switch is uh, it's region-free. So you can play games from you know, Japan from the US, which I'm going to take advantage of because I, I cannot wait to go back to the days of, you know, importing DS games. Did I ever tell you guys how I played the Japanese game without actually knowing Japanese? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it was a One Piece. Uh, it was actually called, I think, uh, Anime Superstars, whatever. There was the, like a bunch of uh, Shonen Jump fight, I think it was called. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's you are a true gamer. Yeah, I used I used to be. I used to be when I had lots of times on my hands. Uh, now not so much. Uh, anyway, uh, I I give it an overall thumbs up on the on the software. I I loved the system software. I have to say, and I'm surprised at that because I haven't always liked Nintendo system software. I I thought traditionally it's been a little bit patronizing. Yeah. And yes, it was aimed for younger people. And as you say, this is like a Nintendo for grown-ups. But that's how they've been positioning all along. They have positioned the target market slightly higher. I loved all the little touches. Like, for example, when you tapped on the screen, you got a little audio feedback. But the thing that was beautiful is when you lift your finger off the screen, you get a sound as well. I haven't seen anybody else do that. The sounds are different. Yeah, yeah. Like if exactly. you tap the same same thing multiple times, you get different noises. And, yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, I used to do sound effects for video games and music for video games a long time ago. So all of this stuff I, I recognize as the elements of really, really good design. You know, you have that subtle variation. And little stuff like, you know, when you slide the Joy-Cons back in, you get that little beautiful uh, highlight animation on each side of the machine. And the just sound. lots of little clever oh, touches like that. Sound. It's just beautiful. So I will say there are two things that need to be addressed, and, and at least one of them they've said they will address. Uh, the fact that friends codes still exist. Oh, yes. Um, yes. It's easier to add people now because you can add people if you're friends with them on other, like on Super Mario Run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know why they didn't add in the system that Super Mario Run has, right? Where you can add people from social media. Exactly. Um, they said they're going to fix this, though, right? Like, but they also said they were going to fix it before, and the, the system never should have shipped a friend code, in my opinion, because it's a, it's a really, really silly and kind of archaic system at this point. The other is the the inability to um, not be able to do anything with your saves, so they just they're just stuck to the console, and if your console dies, then so do your saved games. Um, like the game files, you can move to the SD card, but you can't do anything with the saves. And I'm hoping that that will become a part of the um, the system, you know, the, the online system or something at some point. I hope that they have a better option or at least let you move the saved games to the SD card um, or to the game cartridge, like anything. But like just keeping them on the system memory is maybe not the best thing going forward, right? Like I, I don't think that that's, that, that's yeah. working out. It's going to work out very very well. Um, in regards to the online functionality, and I don't really have any experience with it yet, but I was looking through one of the news articles that came up on the Switch. I really like the news feed, by the way. I think it's very nicely done. Um, and it seemed to indicate that the, you know, we were talking about where's the virtual console. 
um, and Nintendo said they have nothing to say right now in in the kind of the the small print. Uh, of where it talks about you get the free NES or SNES game every month. It says late 2017. So I expect that the uh, virtual console will probably launch, I reckon, alongside the full multiplayer thing, kind of closer to the holiday season. Makes sense. One of the nicer aspects that I saw mentioned today on Twitter is if you lose a game card and you re-download the same game from the eShop, the save file is going to work. So if you... Yeah, they say that is one good point. But if you lose your console, you lose all your saves. Uh, pros and cons. With the cons definitely being worse uh, than the pros. But pros and cons, yeah. Nintendo, what are you going to do? Should we maybe get to probably like the main event, right? Zelda? Uh, yes, I feel like 15 minutes into talking about the Switch, uh, we should devote at least another 30 <laughs> to Zelda alone. All right, so this episode is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service that has the freshest ingredients. Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to allow you to make delicious home-cooked meals for less than $10 a meal. Each Blue Apron meal comes with step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipes. They're on this lovely little card that comes in the package along with your proportioned ingredients. Each meal can be prepared in 40 minutes or less, and you just get the ingredients that you need, no more, no less, which is fantastic. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system. They've set the highest standards for their ingredients. For example, all of their produce is sourced from farms that have that practice regenerative farming. Their beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals, and their seafood is sourced under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch to ensure sustainability there as well. You can choose from a variety of recipes every week. They allow you to add your dietary requirements too, or you can let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. No recipes are repeated within a year, and you'll be able to cook food like salmon piccata with orzo and broccoli, vegetable chili and baked sweet potatoes with crispy tortilla strips, or spicy shrimp coconut curry with cabbage and rice. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental US. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get those deliveries when you want them, and their freshness guarantee means means that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with your first purchase, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com slash remaster. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. Go to blueapron.com slash remaster today, and we thank them for their support of this show and Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, in talking about Zelda. So I think what we should say right now is we are spoiler-free. We're not going to talk about spoilers. We're No spoilers. Basically, as long as you're outside of the Great Plateau, so effectively the tutorial of this game, you're going to be fine. We're just going to talk about kind of general things here. We're not going to talk about the story. Mm-hmm. Other than that, okay. the story's great. You know? Yeah, the story is great. It's definitely one of the best Zelda stories that I've played so it's far. It's easy to follow. I mean, that's been kind of yeah. my issue with some of the previous Zelda games that I've played that I've kind of found the story unin- un- like unexciting. And I think it's really helped by the fact that there are real cutscenes with real voice acting, so it's not yes. just all text. I think that sometimes they still use a bit too much text when they could be using... Uh, voice acting but this is a first step for for zelda with voice acting and i'm I'm hoping it will continue to get better in future games when the characters are talking and instead of having voiceover they do those noises like yeah. oh, wow. oh. <laughs> <And> <laughs> they should have given a voice to link 
Well, uh, maybe there is. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I remember from the... Well, I mean, none of the cutscenes that I've seen so far, he speaks. So far, so far, yes. But I remember something from the trailers, and I feel like at some point we'll get linked with the voice, but I, I don't know. This is not a spoiler, because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know how to how to start, and, and because I feel like this is a very different Zelda game. I've been playing Zelda games for the past... 20 years going back to Link's Awakening which I think Shahid appreciates as a as a Zelda game. Oh, I definitely appreciate it. Um <laughs> I actually brought up videos of it after our last discussion and started uh going through some of the old videos, playing the old uh-huh. uh soundtrack and and then playing it on the base again because <laughs> yeah. man that was a great game. It was a brilliant game and th- this Zelda doesn't feel like any Zelda before. And I, and I saw a lot of people on Twitter this week make comparisons to The Witcher 3 and Dark Souls. And especially Dark Souls, saying that Nintendo made a Zelda version of that kind of experience, which is a hard game that rewards um, effort that you put into the game. And it's a, it's a difficult game that treats you with intelligence, that treats you with respect, but it it's a difficult game, but it's also a, an honest game uh, where you can see where the rules stand. And those are very strict rules. In this game, enemies are going to kill you. And if you go to areas where you're not supposed to be yet, or if you're not strong enough, you're going to die. And you're going to die also by surprise because maybe you climb a cliff and there's an enemy waiting for you and it just with a single, uh, you know, with a single swing of a sword, uh, you're dead. Or maybe you run out of stamina and you're, you know, the fall is too high and when you fall to the ground, you're dead. So it is, it it definitely doesn't feel like old Zelda games where uh, the game is trying to not make you die and to kind of make this sort of hand-holding, like a persistent hand-holding of the game guiding you towards this linear path, which is not to say that previous Zelda games were easy games, but the difficulty lied more in the puzzle-solving and, you know, in the collection of items rather than in fetch quests, rather than, you know, actually fighting enemies Mm -hmm. or exploring the world. Which goes back to the big novelty of this game, which is Nintendo has absorbed, you know, uh, a variety of game genres and different modern game conventions, which is un- it is unusual for me to see in a Zelda game. The Zelda games tend to be, or at least used to be, an evolution upon the same format. We saw some first cracks in this system when A Link Between Worlds came out two years ago, with the reinvention of how you get weapon upgrades, uh, instead of you know tying the, the new weapons and the new accessories to dungeons, you can now, in A Link Between Worlds, you could buy them at any point in the game. And Breath of the Wild is not just an evolution of that formula of you know separating the accessories and the weapons from the dungeons, it goes all the way towards the idea of let's just give the players a world, let's make a physics uh, physics engine that makes sense, that is plausible, that allows you to do a bunch of interesting things, and then it's up to the player's imagination to do whatever they want. 
Of course, there are some limits, and you can see those limits. We're going to talk about them. But it feels like an open, unforgiving, but also intelligent Zelda game in a way that no Zelda game before has ever felt to me. And the and again, it's it's hard to describe an open world game because it's like describing Minecraft. And we had a hard time describing the appeal of Minecraft uh, last year when we were talking about it because there you can do so many things and you can do so much and it's so different from anything you've played before that you don't know where to start. So I I, I think I want to start with the with the open world, which I feel like it's the main protagonist of this game. Not Link, not anyone else, but the, the world is the main character. I feel like in in walking through this world, um, there are so many things to do and so many little details that sort of confirm what we thought two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I think at some point we said, looking at the latest trailers for Zelda, uh, I feel a little better about the idea of an open world game. Because if you go back and listen to two years ago, when the first trailers came out, we we shared the same concern of, it looks like a beautiful game, but it's empty. And I, and I fear that we're going to get bored by this game, because it's like a fancy walking simulator set in Hyrule. Yeah, and I also didn't think that Nintendo could pull it off as well. Right. I had great skepticism. Yeah, and you know, this belief continued for, you know, basically 2 years. Now last week when we saw the trailers and the gameplay we were like, hey, maybe maybe it is better. But once you set foot in this world, once you especially once you leave the Great Plateau, um you truly see that Nintendo was not kidding about the idea of you see a point on the map or on the horizon, you can go there. And it is 100% true. Um and as you walk through this world, you can see all of these details that make it never boring, but also make it not just like a platform where you walk into, but you're actually part of the world. So to give you an example, uh, one of the first things you can try to do is uh, you leave the shrine of resurrection, and you get a you know you get a sword, and then you can try to cut down trees with the sword. And so you have this tree falling onto the ground. But then if you keep hitting the tree, uh, you get a bundle of wood. Uh, and it, this, you know, if you played Minecraft before, um, this is a familiar concept of, you know, uh, making resources out of word elements and actually altering and remixing, remixing those elements by, you know, interacting with them in a realistic way. But it doesn't stop there. Because, for example, if you have a bundle of wood at this point and if you throw it onto the ground... And then if you combine that with a flint, you know, with a with a rock to to actually make a spark, you're going to create a campfire. And once you have a campfire, you can throw pieces of meat or fish onto the fire to roast them. And if you roast the those ingredients, you're going to get better meals that restore more hearts or, you know, other uh, stats. And this credibility, this, um, it's not just a physics engine, but it's making things behave in a way that humans expect them to behave. Yeah. Uh, you see that focus in so many aspects of the game that go beyond, you know, wood and swords and apples and fish. It's actually, you know, it's, for example, if you shoot an animal with an icy arrow, 
uh, you're gonna get a frozen piece of meat. <laughs> I frozen, didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, and the frozen piece of meat uh, has different properties than the traditional meat, and the same applies to the fire arrow. Uh, you're gonna get a, a roasted piece of meat out mm, of a boar. Yeah, and, and it's basically pre-cooked. Um, and you know, when you go to places where, where you know, there's, for example, on a volcano, you throw stuff onto the ground. And it cooks on the ground because the ground is hot, and you don't need a campfire. You don't need a you don't need a pot to cook meals. You can just throw them onto the ground. Um, it feels like cred. It feels credible. It feels plausible. But also, there are other elements that are that are making me think that Nintendo actually looked at a bunch of different places. GTA, The Witcher, Dark Souls, even Final Fantasy XV to an extent. Um, those are those uh, open world approaches. I feel like they have informed Nintendo's design here. But unlike those games, there are different moments in the game where you feel like this is not a randomly generated world. There's a designer's hand here, but it's not as heavy as in previous Zelda games, and it's not as random as, you know, other modern open-world games, which, to me at least, they always get a bit boring, and they they feel like the developers just took a program and said, make me 200 square miles of mountains, you know? Mm-hmm. In Zelda, it feels like it is big, and it is an insane scale, but there's always a consideration behind, you know, what you can do. Whether it's how long a jump is and how much stamina you need to have and how that stamina relates to where in the story you are. Oh, there, yeah. Uh-huh. There are yeah. so many different touches and considerations in making the open world game that make me think they didn't just tell the computer to make X and Y amount of square miles uh, out of you know the out of Hyrule they designed it and of course you know the, I, I again no spoilers uh, but I feel like the more you explore the more you will notice these differences there are also some Metroid like elements especially if you played Metroid Prime um, at one point you will get the ability and I don't feel like this is a spoiler you will get the ability to use the Sheikah Slate which is the accessory that you you know use constantly in the game to scan elements around you by taking pictures and you know the pictures you take uh they contribute to this compendium it's sort of like a wikipedia inside the game where you collect all of information about places about animals about objects and enemies which again if you played metroid prime and if you scanned uh the world of metroid prime with samus uh, visor you're gonna be familiar with it. it's very nice but besides you know the the remix all of these different sources of inspiration and, you know, taking a look at modern gaming conventions, there's a lot of going outside of the traditional bounds of a Zelda game. And if you played Zelda games for, you know, most of your adult life, you're going to see these differences right away. Uh, there are the, the traditional idea of a dungeon is no more. I don't want to spoil it, but it's Breath of the Wild takes a radical new approach to dungeons. Um, the treasure chests 
uh, they're much more useful <laughs> than they used to be. They don't play the long animation anymore, uh, but they don't, you know, they, they don't give you these unlimited upgrades or, you know, weapons that you can use forever anymore. Weapons are destructible, so you actually need to be considerate when you get a weapon uh, because it's going to break after a while. So if you have a strong uh, sword or spare, maybe you want to save it for later. Um, the the shrines uh, scattered throughout the world, they act as mini dungeons with these puzzles that range from super simple to this is too difficult, I want to do it later. Um, the idea of collecting money is different. Now you actually need to collect resources such as gems from the world to resell them. So because enemies, they don't provide you with free rupees anymore. They give you uh, either monster parts or uh, weapons or other accessories. Um, there's voiceover, which we mentioned, and this is the probably the tiniest detail, but there's a new... Um, when you enter people's houses, uh, it used to be one of the most annoying aspects of playing all the games, because you had to wait for a loading screen. Now the transition is immediate. So you can actually walk, you open the door, you see the inside of the house, and you walk in. Again, tiny difference, but you know if you've been playing Zelda games for a long time, uh, you're going to notice th these things. And there's so much more to that is, you know, we cannot mention today, which is you know the new role of elixirs and temporary um, stat increases. Um, the system of choosing whether you want to upgrade your arts or your stamina, uh, the different uh, management of horses and other animals that you can ride on, uh, the clothing um, RPG-like uh, system of switching between different uh, you know, pieces of clothing and accessories. This is very different as a Zelda game, and it's very different as a Nintendo game. And the scale... Is, is truly hard to comprehend. and Because the game, when you start the game, it feels already insanely huge in the Great Plateau. But then it's when you leave the Great Plateau that you, re that you realize Nintendo, you know, when they said you can, you can go anywhere that you see on the map or that you see on the horizon, that was true. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask you guys how you feel about this, but I, it seems to me like when I mentioned that I believe the real protagonist of this game is not Link, but it's the open world. I truly mean it, because I feel like this is a Zelda game that wants you to explore, that wants you to discover things on your own, and with this sense of organic discovery, right? That you're just exploring, you're walking around, you stumble upon a bunch of enemies and those enemies give you a more powerful weapon. With that more powerful weapon, you can go do a different shrine. And inside the shrine, you get an even better weapon. So now you can explore other areas. And meanwhile, you're not following any of the main quests or the main story. You're just exploring this mm -hmm. world on your own. So I want to ask you, do you feel like exploring the world in this Zelda game is the main experience or are you trying to follow the main quests are you trying to just follow the story instead of just experimenting and you know seeing what's out there so i'm following the quests but allowing myself to get lost like 
for something to pique my interest and I go and run over and see it. I actually think I've played more hours of this game than you have, but I am behind you in the story because for a couple of things, a couple of times I, I literally got lost. Like I wasn't sure what I was doing and I thought I had to go to some place, but it was actually the wrong place. And I spent like four hours like traversing these mountains and like looking for something that didn't <laughs> exist because it was in a different part of the map. Uh, because the story, like the, the, the act, there's not a lot of handholding. It, it's pretty light. And I think that's out of design. So you will do that. So you will go and find something or you see something in the distance, like this big bright light. And you're like, what? what is that? And then you, you, you go over and see it and you get destroyed and then you try and level up and like to find stronger stuff so you can try and beat the monster that's there because you really want to go and see what's up the side of that cliff face. Like, And I am enjoying that immensely where I'm like, okay, I want to go and try and do this thing. I want to go and uh, find some new armor. I want to go and do this. I want to go and do that. And and I will just allow myself to just go on and have these little... It's my favorite thing about, about really good open world games in that you can just craft your own game for a little while before you get back to everything else. And, and that's what I really like about it. And, and it's... It's echoed in the story. Like I, I don't feel like there is this real urgency from the characters to complete what's there. You know, like they're not like quick, quick, quick. You gotta do this thing. Like that it isn't mm-hmm. written that way, which I think is a is another masterstroke. When I play a game like GTA, it always feels like there is a pressure on me to complete the story. Right, like that, that that it's it's moving you through with blinking markers and stuff like that. When you know, with this game, you kind of like there are multiple parts of the main quest and multiple side quests, and you can go and choose which order you want to do some of them in. But it doesn't affect the way the game's played, which means you can kind of do this one thing, go over here, and do this other thing, and go over here. Like it's it's very relaxed, and the 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 relaxed tone of the game overall, mm-hmm. it really yeah. is conducive to allowing you and encouraging you to go and see what the world has to offer so yeah, it's it's a very quiet game also it there's is. a mm-hmm. there's not a, a lot of music and um you know you can you can when it's daytime you can hear the birds singing you can hear the sound of the wind it's a it's a very natural game in the mm-hmm. sense of you're immersed in this uh in this world where there are different landscapes and different even geographical connotations to this world and it's very different it feels so realistic uh, and unlike other open world games it, it, it at least to me right it's not boring it, it feels like an art, an artist's take on GTA I, I don't know how to describe it but I feel like Nintendo after so many years of open world being, you know, uh, one of the major uh, industry trends, Nintendo's come in and done a better open world game than everybody else. Um, but and I feel like the the best part of just walking around and, as you said, crafting your own game is to experiment and is to understand. In a way, it's sort of a serendipity, if you will, to just come across a new rule, a new element of the game. Whether it's, for example, at some point you're going to get bombs, and you get two types of bombs. One is a square one that is meant to be placed, like it's a cube that you place on something, and it stays there. 
and the other is a traditional uh, ball-shaped bomb that rolls, you know. So if you if you actually throw a traditional bomb, it's going to start rolling. And so you can come up with strategies that involve, for example, rather than, uh, you know, going head-on against enemies, you can just maybe, you know, sneak in from a hill, then throw a bomb. The bomb is going to roll. It's going to catch the enemy's attention. Those dumb enemies are going to concentrate on top of the bomb to look at it, and then you're going to detonate the bomb, and you're going to, you know, obviously inflict some damage. And it's these different elements of breaking down the game piece by piece and understanding how different objects and different uh, laws of nature interact with each other that makes it all more fun and flexible than other Zelda games. Because even if you could make the argument that you know, Ocarina of Time redefined the, the modern 3D game or that A Link to the Past showed how to make serious adventure games in the 16-bit era. When you, when you look at Breath of the Wild and when you look at how to make an open-world game today, this to me sets a new standard. Uh, not just for open-world games, but for any game, really. In terms of letting the player choose how they want to, how they want to follow the story and just the sheer quantity of how many side quests you have and how many things are to discover out there. Uh, so many different uh, creatures and enemy types and weapon types and upgrades. There's so much to do that, you know, looking back at our old comments, uh, I feel like I'm going to get bored easily with this game. We could not have been more wrong. Uh, you know, maybe given the material that we had at the time, the the fear was justified. And it's playing this game that I truly believe that it, it is the best game I've played in my entire life. And I don't say that lightly because I've, uh, you know, I've, I've been playing Nintendo games my entire life. And um, I, I've seen, you know, I've gone through, you know, various iterations of Super Mario games, Zelda games, Metroid, when Nintendo used to make them. Uh, I own... PlayStation 4, the Xbox 360. I've played video games. Um, not as many as I would like to have played, but enough, I think. And Breath of the Wild, I I never felt so absorbed by a game. I'm constantly thinking about this game. And yeah, new, new strategies to try. New places to go to. Um... I feel like it is the first time in a long, in a long, long time that I that I don't feel like I'm playing a game, but that I'm part of an experience. I don't know how to describe it, but the last time I felt this way was when I played Metroid Prime. the The very first minutes when you when you're inside of Samus' uh, visor and you you blast with your uh, gun and you see the reflection of Samus' eyes in the inside of the visor that makes you that, that made me feel I'm this character s stranded somewhere on an alien spaceship and with Breath of the Wild 
I feel that kind of presence, but compounded by this amazingly vast and rich and detailed and interesting world. It's an interesting world to get lost in and to explore, and it tickles my imagination, and it makes me want to wander, and it makes me want to just run around and discover and die and do stuff. And and it puts a huge smile on my face, smiling right now, because I I couldn't have possibly asked for a better Nintendo game to have with this new console, but really, I think this is the highest point of Nintendo's entire career so far of, you know, as a company making games, Breath of the Wild is a new standard for excellence. And Nintendo's going to do more Zeldas, it's going to do more Super Mario games. But this game, to me, is the new gold standard, is the new pinnacle of how Nintendo can make video games today. And I realized now, maybe this is how people felt when Ocarina of Time came out. I don't remember because I was too young. Uh, but I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, Nintendo took the time to, to get this right. 